Batman Arkham Asylum launched in 2009 to critical acclaim thanks to its dark and gritty story while implementing fun and engaging gameplay systems, all including and wrapped around a revolutionary combat system that was known as the Free Flow Combat System, which games even to this day seek to emulate. It was also one of the best looking games that had ever been released at the time that it launched, thanks to its very efficient and powerful and effective use of the Unreal Engine, the very same engine that was used in the Bioshock games, which is why at times they bear a striking resemblance. Now in this video we're going to go into detail into the story and into the gameplay systems at play within Arkham Asylum and I want to make very clear that this is the first video in a series of three videos that I will be making on the Batman Arkham series. First this video, Batman Arkham Asylum, in the next video we'll tackle Batman Arkham City, and in the third we'll talk about Batman Arkham Knight, which was Rocksteady's conclusion to their foray into the Batman franchise. Now before we jump into it, I think that I should communicate clearly my standards and what I did when playing the game so that you can understand where I'm coming from when I make the criticisms and uh, statements that I'm about to make. First things first, I played through Batman Arkham Asylum on the hardest difficulty that they would allow, and I recommend that if you are going to go back and play this game yourself, that you would do the same, because at its core, all of these games have a very robust combat system, and if you play it on the harder difficulties, then you get to play it the way that the designer intended. You use all of the abilities, use them in tandem, and you actually feel like a superhero by the end of the game once you've mastered it. You don't rely on lower health bars and handicaps in in order to make the game playable for you. You actually have to progress the way that they want you to before you can get to the end. I also primarily focused on the story. I did do some trophy hunting and I did do some of the extra challenges that you unlock along the way. However, it was not a priority for me. Back in the day when this game initially launched, I actually did 100% this game on my dad's old work PC that I was able to play the game on. But for this time around, I didn't feel like it was necessary. Been there, done that. I played through the game on PC and used a mouse and keyboard as my main inputs. And that sounds very random, I'm sure, but I promise you there is a reason I'm telling you that and we're going to loop back around to it later. But with all of this knowledge in our minds, let's just jump right on into it. Now the first thing that has to be said when discussing Batman Arkham Asylum and really any of the Batman Arkham games is that it's an incredibly gritty Batman retelling. It's not a cartoony retelling. It's not a Tim Burton retelling. This is a dark, grounded, gritty retelling of uh, classic Batman stories with a rock steady twist on them. And they actually went and hired a man named Paul Dini, who is a staff writer on DC's boards and has experience working with the Batman franchise. So they have people involved in the writing process who know what they're doing and work with Batman extensively. And you can really tell in not just Batman Arkham Asylum, but in all of the games within the franchise. Nowadays, it's not that big of a deal that a game is gritty and grounded and has dark elements to it. However, at the time, the idea of a Batman game coming out and not being a happy-go-lucky, feel-good game was a little bit shocking to the system. I remember when it first came out, my parents were a little stunned at some of the reviews and what the cover art was on the back of the case. It was very dark and Joker uh, kills people and then you see murders take place. It's not gory, but there is dark and mature content. And it's something that for a lot of people they didn't see coming and in the case of my parents initially were not supportive of. 
Now, it can't be ignored that there is a striking tonal and thematic resemblance between Batman Arkham Asylum and The Dark Knight, which of course launched in 2008 to critical acclaim all over the place. Now, Batman Arkham Asylum launched, as I said, in 2009. Now, I'm not saying that Rocksteady was talking with Christopher Nolan's crew during development, but rather, it's pretty clear that DC, being the higher-ups, being the people in control, made a very conscious decision to take a darker approach to Batman, and I have to say it works. It's unclear when Rocksteady got rights to Batman, but it's safe to assume that it was three or four years before the release of the game, if not further back. And so that would put it at around, or at least 2005, when DC decided to give Rocksteady permission to realize this darker vision of their flagship franchise. And more than anything else, I think all of this should be accredited to Paul Dini, who's a staff writer that worked at Rocksteady during the development of these Batman games. It's unclear if he's still there now, but he has extensive experience working in comic book narratives and specifically Batman, uh, allowing them to have deep insight into the lore of Batman's world and then also into the DC universe as a whole. Now, Batman's always been dark, sure, but not necessarily outside of the comics. Just look at the Tim Burton movies that came out in the late 80s and 90s. It's highly goofy and very, very cringy by today's standards. And sure, there were elements of dark tones and themes, but it was all portrayed and presented in a cartoony and goofy way to make it more palatable to audiences at that time. Now, all of this brings us to the discussion of villains within Batman as a whole, but also specifically within Batman Arkham Asylum. And that's because for DC, it tends to be the case that the villains are the centerpiece of their narratives and the heroes sort of take a backseat to them. Now, we'll talk about this more in just a moment, but first I want to just give a quick rundown on what each of the villains are like within Batman Arkham Asylum. The main villain is the Joker, of course, and he's just as goofy and fun as always, but he's very clearly dangerous. In fact, in the opening sequence, we see him literally strapped into a straitjacket as he makes remarks about the guards walking by, he makes death threats to them, and then after he breaks out, we see the effect that he has on the inmates, where it actually leads to the death of several individuals within just an hour and a half of the opening of the game. As the game goes on, we see him not just occasionally murder or recommend that his henchmen murder for him. We see actual damage inflicted. We see psychological torment inflicted on his behalf. We see horrible, horrible things. And while it's true that the Joker doesn't tend to get his own hands dirty unless he absolutely has to, we do see a couple of moments when he's willing to get nitty gritty and it's terrifying when he does. This balance has always been something that's very difficult for game developers to toe because when you have a villain that's goofy or that is at least somewhat sympathetic or enjoyable, even likable to the viewer, it's a bad idea often to show them doing something truly horrendous and terrible because immediately it pulls you out. It's a little bit of a shock to the system, like a splash of cold water early in the morning. And so you tend to couch the approach and couch the acts of the villains in order to to make it a little bit more palatable. And in this case, that is certainly done, and it's done perhaps to maintain the T for Teen rating on the box, which certainly helped the game's sales at the time, but it's also done in order to make sure that people remember this is a comic book uh, series. This is not Desert Storm. It's okay for things to not be super, super serious. We can infer the damage that's being implied. We don't necessarily need to see it on screen. 
The things we do see on screen, however, can be disturbing when they happen, such as at the very end of the game, we do see the Joker biologically altering his body in order to have a physical influence over Batman to the point where he feels as though he can take over Gotham and finally realize all these dreams and hopes and desires that he's dreamt of. It's such an extreme alteration that his bones are literally poking out of his skin. This is what we call a compound fracture. It's not fun to look at. And understandably, once the game ends and we see the Joker on the other side of this Titan uh, enhancement, shall we say, we see him horribly sick and going through a very painful remission. And of course, the setup to Batman Arkham City is that the Joker is still poisoned and healing and coming down from the effects of that injection that he took. But he's certainly not the only villain. There's many others, such as Harley Quinn, who is very ditzy and not what I would consider a serious threat, even though she does seem to be totally out of her whacker. But we also run into Zaz, who on the other side is not very ditzy or fun, but is totally insane and I would argue is easily the most underutilized character in this entire game. He has so much potential as a mass murderer serial killer who's unbelievably crazy that the fact that they don't use him to his full potential is a little frustrating. He's basically used as a tutorial early in the game and that's about it. Thankfully they remedied this in the follow-up games but once again that's going to be in a future video. If you want to see those follow-up critiques let me know in the comment section and subscribe so you see when they finally come out. We also have Scarecrow in this game who actually has a very large presence within the game's story and this is just me, this is purely my opinion, but Scarecrow seems to me to be easily the most disappointing character in the entirety of the Batman universe, save for some very obscure characters that you probably could dig up on Google. His premise is so cool. He's a guy that controls others through fear. He can distort reality through biological weapons, and not to mention he just looks terrifying, but no matter what, he always seems to fall flat. Now in this game specifically, he never actually does anything really evil. All he does is pokes people with needles. It's implied or inferred that he might kill some people or that the poison gas does kill people, but it's always indirectly. He never is getting his own hands dirty. He's just spraying them with a gas or injecting them with some serum that eventually causes them to distort reality to the point where they effectively kill themselves. It's not the direct evil that we see inferred and implied through the Joker or through other villains within the Batman universe, even people like Poison Ivy or Croc. Now in Batman Arkham Asylum, this is about the extent of his evil deeds. Once again, we never see him do anything truly horrible, so the threat is always very, very minimal. The only thing he does is inject us or we get a gas applied to us where we start to see a distorted version of the game's world and we have to go through a mini game in order to fight against it. And it's cool, it offers some shakeup to the game's monotonous uh, look and stylings within the asylum itself. But at its core, it's not very interesting. And this is really the frustrating thing with Scarecrow is that he looks scary, there's potential here, and some of these sequences could have been really, really cool. And in fact, there's one sequence where you go back and you relive your parents' murder, and that actually is well done and was my favorite interaction with Scarecrow, but that's really it. It's not gameplay, it's purely narrative-based. Whenever they try to use Scarecrow for a gameplay sequence, it just ends up being sort of bland, and then reskinned enemies come out that look like skeletons, 
and it's just kind of weird. And the issue at its core is just that whenever you have a character like this, a villain or an NPC that comes along and you can tell right off the bat the only reason they exist is to break up the monotony, they don't actually have any intrinsic or inherent value, everything just falls apart. The stakes lower and the player mentally checks out because there's no real need for them to be invested. They just need to get through this sequence and move on because they know it's not going to have any overwhelming weight within the story. We also run into Clayface, though very, very briefly and very indirectly, and if you aren't paying attention, you aren't even going to notice that he's here. We run into Killer Croc, and once again, he's a mini-boss in a way where we just run through some tunnels and try to avoid him but it's really a sequence once you figure out the gimmick it's incredibly easy to bypass and it loses all the stress that i believe was the entire point of putting him in the game to begin with and then of course we have poison ivy who is just as dangerous creepy and sexy as ever but no one actually holds a candle to the joker he takes the cake and is throughout the entire game the only character you keep waiting to see more of you desire to to see more to hear more he really steals the show and yes i know that the riddler is also technically in this game but i'm not even going to dignify that with a response because he never shows up and all you do is steal his trophies that he leaves out in the open it's stupid but all this brings me to the question, why are villains so important to the point where it seems to be the only focus of the video thus far? And while this is a sub-point, it's nonetheless crucial as a question with regards to not just this game, but all superhero games and stories. The villains are what shape the experience. Now, this first point is probably going to get me in some trouble, but to be honest, I don't really care. DC seems to rely much more on its villains as opposed to its heroes, whereas Marvel, on the other hand, relies on its heroes and much less on the villains. And this is, of course, for the most part, there are exceptions to the rule with both of these. But Batman, being a DC series, always seems to center around the villain. The Joker is always the star of the show, whereas on Marvel, uh, Marvel side of things, you look at Spider-Man, you look at Guardians of the Galaxy, you look at Thor, you look at Iron Man, whoever you're talking about, they tend to steal the show, and the villain is just sort of a secondary contextual wrapping that they put around it. Now, to me, this always just seemed to be a matter of relatability, and I know we're getting sidetracked, but I think that this is pertinent. To be honest, I can relate to a broke and relationship-handicapped Peter Parker, but I do have trouble relating with an invincible alien or a billionaire playboy with dead parents. This means that the villains are what hold the story together, and quite often within the DC Universe, and in Batman Arkham Asylum specifically, they do just that. Now, Batman Arkham Asylum does not try to be an intensely emotional experience or a narrative experience, even at all. It's there, certainly. There is a story and there is lore to find if you want to find it, but it's not the focus. It's not the focal point. What is the focal point is the dark, gritty world and the people that live within it. And Batman is constantly fighting against the tide of evil that takes the form of these super villains, such as Crocs, such as uh, the Joker, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, and the like. Part of it is the cult of personality that surrounds a character like the Joker. He's just fascinating, sympathetic, and yet interesting all at the same time. But at the same time, it's also a matter of the world that they put it in. Marvel's world tends to be very bright and uh, hopeful, whereas DC's is much darker, grittier, and what some would call grounded. 
Now, it's really just a matter of personal preference as to which that you prefer. But to me, within this game specifically, I think it works very, very well. And I'm very glad to see that they didn't try to turn the world into something that it wasn't. They embraced what Batman is and was, and it works for the better. And all of this on behalf of Paul Dini, who is the writer that made sure all of this was consistent with the lore and with the world that Batman lives within. So thankfully, Rocksteady approached each of these characters, not just the main villains or the main NPCs, but all of the smaller interactions and the lore within it with a healthy dose of skepticism, and they embraced the danger that these creatures honestly do exhibit, and it allows you to become immersed in the world, which is phenomenal. Now, immersion is not always the end-all be-all in superhero games, because by definition, you are already doing things that are far beyond what a normal person is capable of doing. However, it is possible to become immersed if the world that they put you in is believable and consistent with the story that they're telling, a perfect example being the recently released Spider-Man. Now, Batman Arkham Asylum manages to do this in the sense that you are immersed in the world, though not necessarily within the protagonist in the form of Bruce Wayne. And I just have to say that this world that they give you is so intoxicating with its lore that I can't get enough, which is why I'm honestly looking forward to covering the other games in the series, which once again, if you want to see those, make sure you subscribe. All in all, the story of Batman Arkham Asylum is efficient and it gets the job done. It gives you context and frames the characters in an accurate and honest way so that you can play through the game as Rocksteady designed it and wanted you to see the world. But really, it's just a prologue to the story that they wanted to tell in the sequel, which is why I'm not going to dwell on it too much. But nonetheless, I'll run through it quickly. At the opening of the game, we see that Batman has captured the Joker, and later on we find out that it was relatively easy and he didn't put up much of a fight, which allows Batman to feel some sort of uh, skepticism as to whether or not the Joker wanted this to happen or if there's some other plot that's going on, which indeed, as we find out very soon within the game, is exactly the case. Batman takes him to Arkham Asylum to lock him up with the other crazy people that he's captured, and soon after, the Joker breaks out, and we find out that he had planned this all along for months and months and months, and he's been doing all of this so that he can obtain a certain compound known as Titan that one of the scientists has been working on, which in its current state is uh, effectively a biological mutation agent which allows an individual to become horribly mutilated, gaining all sorts of power and abilities that they wouldn't have had before. The the game effectively consists of Batman trying to chase down the Joker, beat everyone up, lock them back up in their cages, and eventually trying to obtain the Titan virus before the Joker can use it against the entirety of Gotham City. At the very end of the game, we run into the Joker who injects himself with the Titan virus and he becomes horribly mutilated and it climaxes in one of the worst possible boss fights I've ever encountered in the entirety of my experience playing video games. But don't worry, we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. And then at the very end, the Joker gets conquered and we find out that everyone got locked back up. The Joker is going through a very painful and sickening remission. And then after the credits roll, depending on your luck, you'll see one of three cutscenes where a crate of Titan is floating outside of the asylum in the little harbor surrounding it. And you will see either Croc, Scarecrow, or Bane grab the crate, implying that there's still Venom out there, and one of these three characters is going to be using it in the follow-up game, which, as you can imagine, is certainly the case. It's a simple story, but effectively all it does is give 
context and gives the player a reason to explore the world that they give you and to use the combat system that they designed specifically for the game, which is a perfect segue into the gameplay. Now the gameplay of Batman Arkham Asylum is fairly straightforward and in general is going to break into three basic categories. Combat, exploration, and puzzles. And quite often, all of these three categories mix together to create a hybrid system which allows for certain systems and upgrades that were unlocked for specific uses to be mixed together and used in tandem. Now we're going to go through each of these individually and talk about how they interact with each other and what they do well and don't do well. And so to begin, let's talk about the combat. Now the combat within Batman Arkham Asylum breaks into two subcategories, and that effectively is what I'm going to call brute combat or hand-to-hand. -hand. It's basically what happens when you cease to be stealthy, everyone becomes aware of your position, and you're just fist fighting. And then the second subcategory is stealth, and this, as you would imagine, is stealth gameplay where you're trying to avoid being detected, using all of the tools and gadgets at your disposal to dispose of the enemies brutes that you come across throughout the level. Now usually the game is going to throw one of these two situations at you. It's going to either ask you to get through a horde of enemies or ask you to stealthily find your way through the level without alerting anybody. And usually it's doing this by having a hostage or some terrible situation where if you are discovered they're going to enact some sort of catastrophic consequence that will punish you for being discovered. To be honest, it makes sense in the game's world and lore that there would be situations where Batman needs to be very, very stealthy, but where the game really shines is in its brute combat, the hand-to-hand -hand when you're getting messy with it. Now at the time, the combat system was revolutionary and it was advertised as a free flow combat system that's heavily reliant on rhythm and pace. So once you get the hang of it, it becomes very, very easy and almost second nature. It just flows and it makes sense. It's for this reason that I heavily recommend, as I said earlier, you playing through any of these Arkham games on the hardest possible difficulty. It's going to get rid of the notification indicator telling you when an enemy is attacking so you actually have to read the situation and their body language and it leads to you playing the game, in my opinion, the best possible way. Now what's really interesting is if you delve into the development interviews that the developers actually gave around the time of release and shortly after once they won several Game of the Year awards, it's actually interesting to learn that the combat system within Batman Arkham Asylum was initially pitched and designed as a rhythm minigame effectively. So there would be music for each of the opponents you're facing, usually there would only be one or two at a time, and you would have to hit certain inputs on each beat. Sometimes an upbeat, sometimes a downbeat, sometimes both. And when two enemies came into the fray, you would have to go and balance two different rhythms in order to fight them both at the same time. Now, during the course of development, they deemed that system to be too niche and to have too steep a learning curve. However, there's still remnants of it within the current system. As I said, it's very rhythmic, and once you get the feel for it, you have the hang of it. You, it's something that you can't really unlearn. Once you're very good at a Batman Arkham Asylum style combat system, you're going to be good at it regardless of what game you're playing. Honestly, it's really hard to describe because it's incredibly simple. Effectively, all there are are four basic interactions and components that make up the combat system. There's the attack, dodge, 
counter and what I will call an interruption mechanic, where this could be flashing somebody with your cape or using a tool or a batarang to interrupt whatever activity that they were about to enact. You effectively run around the arena fighting and attacking, occasionally dodging when an attack is brought in, and then occasionally you'll also counter depending on which enemy is doing it. Some of these lower level enemies can't be countered but can be dodged, and some of them have to be dodged before they can be countered. And so as you go through the game and get experience with all of these different subgroups and sub-enemy types, you learn their weaknesses and learn how to take them down. And so you start mixing and matching these four basic components in order to create something incredibly fluid. Now the game also heavily rewards you for not taking damage or any hits during the course of this. The higher your combo counter can get, the better. As you play and bounce between enemies, your hit counter will increase, allowing you to use finisher moves and gain more XP exponentially. And this XP is then used to unlock new abilities that are either used in basic combat or in stealth and sometimes both. These abilities can increase overall health or allow you to uh, discover inverted takedowns or even changing the threshold for finisher moves from eight successive strikes to five, which makes it at times feel almost over overpowered. And once you combine all of these different mechanics and abilities with the aforementioned enemy variety, it actually works very, very well despite its initial simplicity. With systems like these, it's very important that you push the game to its limits and that you don't take it for granted. When you set a game like this on an easier difficulty setting and you can afford to take certain hits or Batman becomes so overpowered that he can knock somebody out in a single hit, it decreases the value of all of these different systems. So instead of having to rely on mixing and matching the four aforementioned subsystems, you then have to rely on one or two and the game never pushes you or challenges you. You simply button mash and then move on. I know that it can be triggering for some people at times to hear that there is a quote-unquote right way to play a game, but in this case I honestly and fervently believe that there is a right way to play a game with a free flow system, and that is on the hardest possible difficulty so that there are consequences to failing the very basic and simple system that they've set up. Now in the first couple hours of playing the game, this is going to feel very, very simple, but the game does ramp it up as you go through and they start mixing together many different enemy types, which is where the real variety and interesting moments come into play. And to be honest, the system that Rocksteady ended up with is actually fairly robust and even to this day is actively being copied or at least is serving as an inspiration for combat systems moving forward. However, I want to be clear, this is not without its issues. The first major problem that this free flow combat system in its current form in Batman Arkham Asylum runs into is that enemies stack themselves. And initially this doesn't seem like a major issue, but what it effectively means is that the enemies will not attack when they're not in view of the camera, except for brutes and gunmen who have sound cues. And in the case of brutes, they even require distance to be defeated. So I can forgive this individual instance. And so what this effectively means for the player is that when they're fighting a large group of enemies, it's going to feel very, very systematic. It's going to feel very mechanical. You're 
attacking one person, the other person doesn't start attacking you until the person you were just dealing with finishes their animation, then they come in, and then once they finish, the next person comes in, which once again plays into the rhythmic side of things because you can always rely on there being another group. And at times when you become overwhelmed, you can counterbalance this by pushing all of the different NPCs away from you so you really spread out the enemies but at its core it's still going to be a very rhythmic and simple process of when you're near this character they will attack you when you're far away they'll run towards you so that they can attack you it's incredibly predictable so if you're not pushing yourself on the harder difficulty settings it can feel very very repetitive. Another issue is that by default, the inputs for counter and aiming and using your tools are actually the same. So for instance, when I am using a rope caster to travel through a hallway, that is typically brought out by holding down uh, trigger or in the case of PC, the right mouse button. And in the case of combat, what's actually gonna happen is when you want to counter, you're expected to tap this same button, this right mouse button and what that means is that occasionally you're going to be fighting a large horde of enemies and you're going to try to go in for a counter but instead batman is going to pull up the rope caster and take a shot which can ruin a large combo and even ruin the entire sequence meaning that you have to start over from a checkpoint it's incredibly frustrating and it's true it can be rerouted in the menu settings but by default this is what's set up when the game ships and so I feel as though it's fair to criticize. On console, when you're playing on a controller, this is not really an issue because, of course, you're dealing with square and triangle or X and Y, and so you never have this overlap in the same way that you have on PC. But on PC, it, even to this day, is an issue that I suggest you go into the menus when you first open the game and remedy. The game also has times when it doesn't feel the most responsive. In general, it's very, very snippy and it, it works quite well, but there are times, especially when there's large numbers of enemies on screen, where counters don't register properly, when dodges don't register properly, when you dodge at slightly an off angle and so a brute runs into you, causing you to stagger and take damage. And it can be very, very frustrating because at its core, a game's difficulty is reliant on the assumption that any damage and punishment inflicted upon the player is a result of their error, their issue. If they make a mistake, they're punished for it. But if damage and punishment is inflicted on a player that didn't do anything wrong and simply encountered this issue as a result of a glitch or some sort of error in the game's programming, it ceases to be challenging and instead becomes frustrating. Now, this is not just true of Batman Arkham Asylum, but it's true of every game that has ever had any sort of glitch issue or issue with the game's responsiveness in a fast-paced combat system. When you make a mistake, you should be punished for it, especially in high difficulty settings. But when you're playing through the game and you're doing a phenomenal job and then you still get punished because the game simply decided to screw you over, that ceases to be fun. Now, all of this said, I really, really enjoy the free flow combat system that Rocksteady introduced with Batman Arkham Asylum. At the time, it was mind boggling that a system like this could be running as well as it did on consoles and on PC, even on Macs. But 
it certainly is the first generation of this technology and at the time we were blown away by it but looking back on it now we can certainly see where rocksteady was able to improve it moving forward in the franchise now as for stealth, this is actually a very important element of the game's design, and effectively it's to shake up the basic combat system, which certainly is fulfilling, but it does get monotonous at times. So with the stealth sequences, it also serves the narrative in the sense that Batman would not always be in need of just bashing people's heads in. At times, he would need to take a more careful approach, and the stealth sequences serve that very purpose. It's in these sequences that we actually use the tools that Batman has on his utility belt. Things like proximity mines, things like attraction collars, and all of these different things that you can use in order to lure certain enemies away from locations, take them out stealthily, and then move on to their buddies. Now, I never felt as though one tool was utterly useless and all of the others were useful, but rather I felt as though in these stealth sequences, there was never a mixture that was encouraged. It was always, you can use one of your tools and it will work just fine, but you have no need to really mix and match. And this is something that the follow-up games were able to fix. Once again, I don't want to get into that just yet. That will be for the next video. But it is nonetheless interesting to see that the foundation was laid, the groundwork was laid in this game, but they just didn't have enough time or they didn't delve into it enough to really polish out the system. Quite often what these stealth sequences turn into is simply Batman swinging around the room on the gargoyles way above any of the NPCs, waiting for them to become distracted or walk away from their buddies, at which point you swoop down to an inverted takedown and that's it. You just repeat the process going around the room and maybe occasionally you drop down and strangle somebody, but that's really about it. Later in the game they do challenge you and they do blow up some of the gargoyles so you can't use them and you have to stay stationary. This was really exciting when I came across it the first time and even still it's probably my favorite stealth sequence in the entirety of the game just because it shakes it up and forces you to think in a different way. There's actually some really cool things you can do with the tools that Rocksteady gives you and it's unfortunate that they never push you or urge you or invite you to use those tools in creative ways. It's always up to the player to decide whether or not they want to. Now it's impossible also to talk about stealth in any video game without discussing the AI, and what I'll say is that it's decent enough, but it's still quite stupid. What I mean by that is that it's not so stupid that you are torn out of the game. Really what I did is when I was playing the game, I took it as the thugs just being really, really stupid. After all, they are criminals who are in a high security or perhaps even max security prison effectively. They're not geniuses across the board. So when they did something stupid or uh, ran apart from each other, separating out. It wasn't immersion breaking because it was believable. It did seem like something they would do, which I doubt is intentional, but nonetheless, it is a fun excuse that a player can tell themselves. Nonetheless, there are many times when I felt as though the AI should be able to see me, especially when you're using the grappling hook to swing up to gargoyles and you end up swinging right in front of somebody 
and they don't see you because the game doesn't register that animation from point A to point B as a movement of Batman. They just register point A and point B. So they don't actually see you when you're traveling on your grappling hook, which is a small detail, but it is very, very frustrating when you're trying to take the game very, very seriously and then the AI totally bugs out and can't figure out where you are, even though you were literally just feet away from their face. To counterbalance this feeling, I always play Batman Arkham Asylum on like the darkest brightness setting that I can possibly manage. I like to make these games look incredibly dark and grungy just because it helps me become even more immersed in them. I find it much more interesting to do that. It is more difficult, but once again, I think it's interesting if you put these sorts of handicaps on yourself, especially when the game is, is getting to the point where it feels as though it's easy if you've played it before. So once again, the stealth works just fine, but more than anything, it is a constant reminder that this was a good foundation laid by Rocksteady, but it certainly was setting up for something more. Now outside of combat, we have exploration, and this basically just consists of trophy hunting and getting to the next checkpoint in the story. It can be fun, but it's quite clearly not the intended focus of the game. There's not a whole lot of Easter eggs. There's not a whole lot of stuff to encourage you to do this. More than anything, it's just Riddler's trophies and Arkham lore objects, which are cool to find and were really the only thing that kept me going, but it's still not effective world building. It's just a Ubisoft collection fest. And beyond exploration, we also have puzzles, and this integrates with both of the other gameplay archetypes. Sometimes they work together, sometimes they work in tandem, sometimes they work totally separately. It really just depends on the sequence. But these puzzles can be anything uh, from just figuring out a riddle to unlock a Riddler trophy to learn more about the game's lore, or even to something like using several detective sequences that exist within the game uh, to discover some secret meeting or to progress with in the game's story, and quite often these consist of nothing more than finding uh, a certain place in the room that lights up a meter and then you hold down spacebar for a few seconds followed by following that trail until you reach another combat sequence and the whole process repeats. It is interesting, it shakes up the gameplay sequence, but it's not anything that's truly revolutionary. Batman, after all, is supposed to be the world's greatest detective, or at least that's what's on the tagline on a lot of the merchandise, and so it is interesting to see that they did include a detective sequence and system within the game, but it's not something that's dynamic. It's only used in scripted sequences, and even then, it's not particularly interesting. You're just discovering a particular object and then following a trail of that object to another location where the game loops back and relies on another one of, usually, the gameplay systems such as stealth or combat. It really doesn't do anything itself that's inherently interesting. It just serves as another way of getting you back to another one of the more interesting gameplay systems. And not to sound like a broken record, but this is something that the game's sequel, Batman Arkham City, greatly improved upon. And it's something that I am excited and certainly will be discussing in that video. Once again, subscribe if you want to see when that comes out. But all this brings me to perhaps my largest criticism of Batman Arkham Asylum, and it's a criticism that many other people have also expressed, but it is so glaring it's hard to ignore. And that is straight up, the boss fights suck. To be honest, 
the game doesn't really have any truly interesting boss sequences. Usually, they consist of just a simple gimmick, and that gimmick is repeated usually three times roughly, and then it concludes with some elaborate cutscene that was pre-rendered in 720p, meaning that it looked decent in 2009, but going on a decade later, it looks pretty rough, and it just falls flat. Take, for example, any of the Scarecrow sequences. All you do is run through a certain maze, ducking and waiting for his gaze to move past you. You sprint by. Occasionally, in some of the sequences, you'll fight NPCs, and then you move on. You continue the same thing. You turn over a flashlight. It shines on him, and then you're out of the level. That's, like, the entire thing. I'm not joking. Or with Bane, he's effectively just a really big version of some of the other enemies that you've been playing against, and then they mix in a bunch of smaller enemies to make it more interesting, or at least more chaotic at the same time. You fight him, you unplug certain tubes, and you continue beating him. You do this a few times, his health decreases, and then there's a cutscene that plays, and that's that. Or Killer Croc, where you go into the sewers and you find him in order to collect a certain substance that you need later on in the game and you're trying to keep your volume levels at a certain level so that you don't call attention to your location but it doesn't matter no matter how quiet you are killer croc is still going to find you and no matter how loud you are the result will be the same he pops up out of the water and runs at you from a fairly far distance giving you plenty of time to quick throw a batarang or to straight up aim yourself holding down either trigger or the right mouse button Throwing it right at him, he takes the hit, falls back in the water, and then you continue on your way. It's actually incredibly dull once you figure out the gimmick. There's no threat anymore, and all of the stakes disappear. And perhaps the most egregious example is the final boss fight with the Joker, which is absolutely a joke. And I understand that's a pun, that was intentional, but it's legitimate it's like a total joke I, I honestly don't know how they got this game to release with a final boss fight this bad all it is is a fight that consists of three phases which rely on the joker falling on his overly long fingernails after he's injected himself with titan and then those fingernails get stuck on a wood plank in front of him just long enough for batman to beat the crap out of him and lose a third of his health and then he jumps back up, turns his back to you while you fight minor enemies, and then you pull him back down, and the same thing happens. Like, I'm not kidding. This happens three times. It's a total joke. I, I, I can't make this up. Especially with the visual element that was here with the Joker's disgusting, hideous look and all of the other bosses that you've come across, I was expecting there to be some sort of super climactic and amazing boss fight where all of the enemies come back together. You fight a, a sequence with Croc and then you go up against Scarecrow, then you go up against Poison Ivy, then you go up against Harley, then you go up against each of them climaxing with the Joker himself in an epic boss fight. But instead, they rely on the same laurels, they throw a bunch of smaller level enemies at you while the Joker does his little thing, and then the gimmick comes back into play. You do that three times, and then the game is over. It is by far one of, if not the most, disappointing boss fights, especially final boss fights, that I've ever come across. It is totally egregious and... If I don't stop myself from ranting about it more, I, I'll keep going. It's so stupid. I can't even, I, I can't even deal. I can't even deal.
But all of that said, the game is phenomenal. There's a reason it won all sorts of Game of the Year awards. There's a reason that it was called the greatest superhero game ever made, revolutionary and thought-provoking. All of these titles and praises were thrown upon it simply because it was revolutionary and it was willing to do something very, very different. Tell a dark story and introduce a new type of combat system that nobody had really seen before implemented in this way. And to be honest, it worked. And what's really impressive about Batman Arkham Asylum is that all it was effectively was a proof of concept so that the developer could move on and create the game they actually wanted to create in the form of Batman Arkham City, which I think is a great place to end this because after all, that video is coming, as I've said a bajillion times over the course of this video. <laughs> and I think we'll call it there. Thank you for watching, honestly and truly. It really does mean the world to me. I, I do just want to say briefly, these types of videos take a long time to make and a lot of effort. So any support that you're able to provide is incredibly highly appreciated, uh, whether that's in the form of leaving a like or a comment or subscribing or even checking out the Patreon, which is linked down in the description box below. All of that helps immensely, and I am hugely thankful to all of you who choose to support in any one of those ways. It really does mean a lot and makes all of this possible. So thank you to all of you. It really does mean a lot. But I'll stop talking your ear off. If you want to see the next video on Batman Arkham City, make sure you subscribe. YouTube's been weird recently. But with all that said, thank you for watching. I love you all and I'll see you in the next video. Peace out.